Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Stephen Blank of Blank Family Communities. Before we dive in, I want to ask a real quick favor. Would you mind taking a few seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? That would mean the absolute world to me if you would take time to do that. All right, let's dive in. Stephen's family owned and operated Franklin Communities for 35 years. And Stephen has gained experience through working at M. Shapiro and at Meritas before selling to Yes Communities in 2019. Stephen then founded BFC, Blank Family Communities, specializing in mobile home communities. BFC currently manages over 5,000 units across the country and is actively growing. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Yeah, I'd love to start out by having you tell us your story and you know a little bit about your path into manufactured housing and the, the family business. Yeah, no, absolutely. So my family owned and operated a 2,500 unit portfolio in southeastern Michigan. So I started, you know, when I was 15 years old, working maintenance and during my summers. Uh, so I've done everything from, you know, drilled and poured piers, set up houses, you know, help lay asphalt, literally everything. And, you know, after college, I started working in the corporate office and I started as the, you know, the doing the, the file clerk. So my dad always said, I'm never going to give you a job based on your last name. Like you'll start at the bottom and work your way up. So I learned every facet of the business that way. After a few years, I decided, look, I really want to make my own name for myself. So I started at uh, M. Shapiro, who's the country's largest fee manager for Mm -hmm. manufactured housing and got uh, just a wealth of experience. And then from there, I jumped over to Meritus, which when I started with Meritus, they owned 6,000 sites. And when I left, they were at 25,000. And right after I left, they ended up selling to Yes. Um, And that was, we brought in probably a thousand houses a year in just my region alone. They did a crazy amount of volume with, they'd buy communities at 30% occupied and they'd be at 90% within a year. Wow. And so with the, when I realized that it was time to start my own company that I didn't really do that well under working for somebody else, I started Blank Family Communities. And by that time, the the market was already so hot that I said, look, I'm an operator by trade. My family's an operator. So let's go and do third-party management as a side, aside from doing the ownership model. Wow. That is fantastic. I mean, what a story from the ground up. How many employees now do you guys have to manage the 5,000 lots? So in the field, including our field employees, we have about 50. Um, Yeah. So we've got 45-ish communities, around 5,000 units, and our corporate staff is at uh, 11 right now. Wow. That is fantastic. Let's see. What what would you say has been the toughest hurdle for you in the business or in, you know, in operations? Yeah, there's, there's two things. So one is creating a geographically smart portfolio. So the, the issue that I came into contact with that I think a lot of people do, especially as they're growing their portfolio, is 
you see a deal that makes sense on its own. So therefore you want to pursue it. But so much of manufactured housing these days, especially since the institutional players have taken all of the large communities away, you need to make sure that you have geographically clustered communities. And that's the same for, it's key for management. Our regionals should be able to drive all of their communities ideally. Because if you have to pay for a plane ticket uh, just to visit 100 site community, that community is not gonna be viewed, uh, visited very often. And then the other thing is just creating scale with institutional quality communities. You know, as we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the institutional players have taken away all of the, or the majority of the large assets. So, you know, trying to create a, a solid portfolio with the smaller communities that are currently in the market. Yeah, that's, those are really good points. I, I can relate to the geo smart portfolio piece because it seems like, like you exactly like you said, you know, when we try to get our quarterly trip to each property, you know, the ones that are clustered together, it's just an easier trip. And it's just, you know, it's easy to make time for those the ones that are kind of the outliers, you know, it's easy to easy to overlook those and to prioritize those after the other ones. So that's, uh, that's interesting. When it comes to infill, you know, what can you share about that, that you learned at M Shapiro and, and Meritus, like, you know, what's the, how do you best manage that process? And do you have any like big tips that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So infill is kind of what we specialize in. And Andrew and I were on a, another podcast recently that we talked about infilling in particular. And so right now our portfolios should get 300 houses this year. The majority of those are going into our Ohio portfolio and the manufacturers do a great job with helping you order the right house. You know, ordering the right house for your market is key because if I over order a house that the market's not going to support, you know, I'm, it's not going to be a profitable venture for me. And the second is really understanding the lot modification that goes into bringing in each home. You know, what are my, and being realistic about those costs and time frame. So what is my, do I have to do a foundation? So, you know, peers or is you know, in Michigan, you have to pour new piers for every new home. Any existing concrete has to be done away with because of uh, new HUD guidelines. And then does my electric need to be upgraded? What's my water and sewer connection look like? Uh, is there gas to the home? Is the gas to the lot? And then finding good vendors to manage the process. And especially if you're going at scale, like what we are, you know, we will potentially pay more than the cheapest guy on the block for, um, just for peace of mind and uh, so they can handle our volume. Oh, totally. And that's been one of the big bottlenecks for us is finding good third parties that can transport the homes, number one. Yep. I think you guys can probably circumvent that with the new homes coming from manufacturers. Uh, but then, you know, installing homes, you know, to find someone that can do this at scale, that's not just chucking a truck and his brother that are going to go install some homes yeah. has been very difficult to us, you know, yep. to find those good vendors. So do you have any tips on that of how to find those, you know, those, those grade A quality insured vendors? So, and, and that's something that we're the used home market. We, we've started to bring in as COVID has made new homes harder and harder to get. And some markets won't support the price of a new home. Yeah. So we're, we're sourcing more used homes than we used to. And finding just a transport company is extremely difficult because they can still get work wherever they want. What I tell everybody to do is, most states have a manufactured housing association and they know the quality vendors that 
can be used. So every time I go into a new market, the first thing I do is call the association. Smart. Very smart. Uh, sourcing used homes. You know, I, we've done the same thing. You know, we've, we've done everything from trying to work with dealers to, uh, you know, transporters to, you know, scalping the internet, trying to find used homes. Do you yep. have any tips of like the top three ways you guys find them? Yeah. So the first, the answer is carefully, because there's another aspect to, to sourcing used homes that we pay a lot of attention to. And that's if you're taking a home out of a community, oftentimes it's viewed at extremely negatively by the community owner. I mean, we create leases around having the first right of refusal if a house wants to sell and be moved from our community. So, you know, I never like to pick on, you know, community owners because it's, they're going to come back. They could potentially come back at the community and say, well, you took one from me. I'm going to take five from you. And that's what we saw in the last recession is that happened a lot. And nobody, nobody's at a net gain at the end of the day. So we focus on homes that are already slated to leave the community. And we, we focus heavily on the internet. Facebook marketplace has been wonderful for finding homes and offloading homes and then calling the local, the local dealers. But with wholesalers, you know, the quality of home can sometimes come into question the, um, you know, how they, their work process can sometimes falter. So it's not a perfect system. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think we do the same, you know, one thing we've seen a lot recently is with mobile home parks shutting down or converting into other avenues and all of those owners you know, likely either need to sell or they want to move their home into another park. So that's one way that we've, you know, and we've seen like three or four of these recently that are shutting down as mobile home parks and then being made, turned into RV parks, like higher quality RV parks. So that's one way we've, we've got a lot of homes this year, but 300 houses this year, you guys are going to infill. What percentage of those are new and what percentage of those are used? So those are actually only our new homes. So we'll wow. probably do another 25 to 50 of used. And we do have a community closing in two markets that we're actively pulling from, just like how you mentioned. But the majority of the houses that we're bringing in are new. Wow. That's fantastic. So, I mean, let's just get the elephant out of the closet, right? Like third-party property management for mobile home parks has yep. a bad rap. Terrible. And, you know, you are taking ownership of of bringing that to the marketplace, not the bad rap, but bringing operational expertise to the marketplace. So, you know, how do you overcome that, you know, to investors that want to own a property and have a third party manage it? So we tell everybody that we're not, first of all, we're not magicians. And a lot of if, you know, so let's say the standard property management fee is 5% and you're dealing with a 30 site community. Well, I can't support, you know, my, a good corporate team on 5% of that. So we bake in, you know, minimums for each community. Also, we do, you know, make sure we're geographically smart and having technological automation wherever possible. So for smaller community, for all of our communities, over 95% of our people pay on the online portal. We invest a ton of energy upfront where we actually operate at a loss in order to create smooth operation over time. And that's where we make our money. 
But also we have a, and we have a statistical formula to say each regional needs to manage this amount of communities for us to make sense. And as long as they're the right communities, then we're able to do that effectively. And to overcome the objection, say, let's say you own five communities. You're not going to be able to afford a high-end regional manager and and a high-end CFO. You know, I have a high-end CFO and high-end regionals that are able to be shared across a larger space. So it's more of a shared resource model. And my access to technology is a lot greater because I can afford, you know, more expensive programs, more expensive automation than small to mid-sized operators can. That makes sense. So what would you say is the size of a community that, is there a minimum? Is it 50 lots or higher? Is it a hundred lots or higher? I mean, I, I explored M Shapiro at one time mm-hmm. and the minimums really didn't make sense for parks under a hundred lots, you know, right. just based on their, how much they were going to charge. So are you guys similar to that model or different? We have the smallest community that we manage is 26 lots. And there, the minimum actually comes out to about 10%. We're certainly not the highest price management company in the market, but we're not going to take a, commu- a small community on in a, a geographically remote location that needs a lot of work for the bare minimum cost. Yeah. Um, if, and on the, on the flip side, because our accounting is so automated, um, we don't have a huge expense there. And if, if it's in a market that we have a heavy presence in, then we're able to operationally share resources and get a bunch of communities together that could potentially share a community manager, share a a maintenance staff. So that's how we're able to handle those. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I wrote a couple things down here about like the things third-party management gets a bad rap for. Yeah, yeah. One of them would be slower infill, which, you know, I, I think the newer houses are easy to automate. And that's why, you know, 300 is is amazing. I mean, I, that's, especially with all the concrete work, like that's, that's fantastic, but used homes, I'm sure goes a little slower from what I've heard. Like a lot of the third parties don't even do any infill. So, um, you know, I would say that was one of the things higher expenses would be another item for, you know, that get, gives it a bad rap. And then, uh, you know, failure to, sorry to like throw you under the rug. No, like no, please. I'm not, I'm not really calling you out. I'm just calling out the myths I've heard of third-party management, but but the third one would be the water sewer recapture. Yeah, and that's something within our portfolio that like we probably spend so much money and time trying to you know control that measurement right. so that we don't get out of hand and lose a thousand bucks in a month because water is just running right. freely. So, what would you say about those three things and how you know BFC you know does those yeah. better? So so first of all, we have a we had a 100% renewal rate from last year to this year. There were two clients that we got rid of because they didn't fit our uh, business model because we have a, a, a mandate that the people that we work with have to be happy people because if somebody's just miserable all the time, then they're going to make our team miserable and it's you know our job to protect our regionals. So the miss of third-party management, the expense thing, I understand, but I get paid and keep my job based on my ability to operate effectively. And we always show, here's what your NOI was before us. Here's our fee. And here's how we still have a positive Delta. Because if we're operating at a loss from what was happening before, why use us? Uh, water and sewer rebuilding has been a, a just a pet 
project of mine because it's where that operators can make the biggest difference. Anybody can fill a lot and anybody can collect rent, but understanding that the complexities of water and sewer rebuilding is a must. So we, wherever possible, we go with a Metron system and we monitor that system and ensure that our rates are changing with the cities because if you haven't raised your water and sewer rates in one, a year, I guarantee you the city has, and now you're behind. You know, Are you yeah. rebuilding at at least a 90% expense ratio? And uh, that's something that we pay extremely close attention to. The one thing that we don't do as well as an owner who owns one or two communities is finding some random person to do something for way below market. I We don't have the time to spend 20 hours on the phone to find a, an, um, maybe an unlicensed plumber to replumb a house for $500. You know, we have, that is, uh, but we make it up in, in other ways. But essentially, if that community is not performing well, why use us? And that's what I always say to people who say that we don't care about the results of the community. You know, we take pride in in the yield that our that our owners see because if they're making money, that means that we're making money. Definitely, yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things when I looked at doing third party management that caught me off guard is that people may not understand is the insurance. You know, for your employees and and for employing all of them and and you know, having them as W twos instead of independent contractors, it's a lot of liability. And that insurance is not cheap because, you know, the insurance companies see it as high risk being it's affordable housing and mobile home parks and not other forms of housing. So, uh, you know, I definitely think the fees are worth it, you know, in terms of what you're paying. And and I I think that's another thing on the water sewer recapture, you know, with Metron and those other things is technology is understanding that, you know, what's out there in the marketplace. And then also having, you know, the scale, right? Like having the ability to hire those people where if it's just you and two partners and you own 10 mobile home parks and you're splitting up duties of who does what, you're not going to be able to dive into some of these niches like you're, you're mentioning your team does. So right. that's and, we keep, you know, annual checkups to make sure the city didn't raise their sewer rates and things like that. I mean, that's, that's very important. So, and I know that a lot of your listeners are passive investors. So the whole, the whole point of us is we live in the minutiae. You know, we we live in the day to day and we have enough automation to where we can be proactive about issues. Are there things that we do wrong? Absolutely. That's with any management. But we have the we have the staff and the backing to make sure that things get handled and the knowledge to where we go into a market and a plumber says, oh, this is going to be five thousand dollars. And we have the wherewithal to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. A plumber's this much equipment is this much and it's going to take you this much. You should actually be at around twenty five hundred dollars. Whereas yeah. a person not skilled in plumbing repairs uh, may not know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what things should cost. That's a really good point. This is one of the questions I ask on every episode. And I think it adds the most value from, from the feedback I've gotten. You know, what do you think are the most important things passive investors need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? That may be through a fund, through a one-off syndication or JV, uh, or you know, otherwise, what what do you think they should look out for to to know up front? Uh, that's a great question. So understanding the business model that you're investing in, and then understanding that some of the things that MH is being hailed as are really not true. Manufactured housing is not recession proof. Coming from somebody who has seen multiple recessions, it's not true. Uh, during 08, operators had to dump a ton of personal cash to keep houses filled and to to create their own financing because all the lenders went away. 
And I can't tell you how many pro formas I see that, that give a 20% IRR after five years that show a complete linear rent increase. Um, and I don't know economies to be linear over stretches of time. Two, they don't show any vacancies. I know that that manufactured housing, our residents stay for a long time, but I don't know a single community that operates at 100% occupancy across multiple years. And then they'll say like 100% rebuild of utilities. You know, that we do have that in a lot of communities, but that's often not the case. You know, we budget 75% to 95% to be safe. And capital improvements, you know, does your, is your budget including the, the capital maintenance that every community needs and communities, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a community that 75 sites are under is not going to operate at a 30% expense ratio. It's not real. So, you know, you see pro formas and you have all of those things that I just mentioned, and it's like, oh man, this deal looks great. But when you put in the real world scenarios, it's not nearly as pretty. Agreed. I think one of the big things is capital expenditures that you touched on. I don't think you know they budget enough, and I know some some banks require fifty dollars per lot, you know, per year or something, you know, set aside or uh, you know for capital expenditure reserves. But we've seen it be way more than that. You know, maybe right. that's what it is for the REITs, but the capex of a, a person just moving out in the middle of the night and abandoning a home, uh, the capex from broken water lines or sewer backups. Uh, it's just really what I think ruins a pro forma because you just, you can't plan for those and you need to have it, you know, buffered in up front. Yep. Especially if you're buying a community in a cold weather state, you know, right now in Michigan, it's 12 degrees. You know, we've got water line issues all over Michigan and Ohio right now. And, you know, a plumbing repair can be $5,000, can be 2,500. And if you're budgeting $50 a month, I mean, that, that blows not only this year, but the next year's budget. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, those are really good points. You said not recession proof. Maybe you could shed some light on that. Like back during 2008, kind of what mobile home parks, was it was it occupancy that was struggling the most? Just people leaving in the middle of the night? Were homes getting pulled out by dealers, getting repossessed? Maybe shed some light on that if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. So when I graduated college and started working in mobile home parks, it was like in the corporate office, it was 2011. And I was like, man, did I make a mistake? Um, because it was, it was not a sexy place to be. It was not cool or anything. Homes were leaving. Homes were being repossessed at like a 50% repossession rate is what we saw. Wow. Interest rates were almost 18%. Um, and so lenders went out of business overnight. So you couldn't get the appropriate chattel financing. That's when the rental model was truly introduced. Uh, mm-hmm as a popular method, because before that, everybody sold homes. And then wholesalers, because nobody were buying new homes, they came in and were buying houses left and right. So on Google Earth, the satellite view, you can look at a timeline and look at the community that you're looking at. And if it's got 30%, 50% vacancy, you know, go back to 2005. And I would bet that that community was full and then go to 2008. That's when you saw it start to empty and then go to 2010, 2013. Um, and that's when it really died off. But occupancy was a major issue and you weren't really raising rents. And what I always like to say is when an economy suffers, our residents suffer first. And the- I've been bringing that up. I've been bringing that up, you know, with uh, 
the first jobs that got replaced, right? Or now you have uh, uh, artificial intelligence at McDonald's and Walmart, you know, the cashiers aren't there anymore. And, and whose who's tenants were those? Those were right. ours. Yep. Right? So I yeah. think that's a new wave that we need to watch out for. And luckily, we've been kept afloat by the stimulus. I mean, MH had a great showing through COVID, and I was extremely, we were extremely lucky to have that huge stimulus package go to a lot of our residents. Um, but it's going to be really interesting as the stimulus ends and the, you know, the economy certainly softens, interest rates are going to go up. It's going to get interesting. Definitely. What are some of the bigger mistakes that you've seen operators make, you know, in the course of action, in the course of business? So besides the performa issues are one. So, you know, yeah. buying a community that you're really fooling yourself on or just seeing, making a mistake that you didn't know that was there, you know, uh, sewer lines are really easy to camera, but water lines, it's sometimes a guessing game of what kind of shape that they're in. And I know a lot of communities that on the surface look amazing, um, but they've got water leak issues. You know, taking on, you know, clients and partners that aren't a good fit, because what if, you know, there's you guys butt heads at every at every time a decision needs to be made, if one wants to go left, one wants to go right. So we actually have come in on a lot of deals where the partners just couldn't talk to each other. It's like a bad divorce. So mm -hmm. we come in and have to act as the intermediary to, to get things done. And uh, so, and then the biggest mistake that I've made is both discounting my value in certain cases and then overstepping what my value actually is. So we're not replaceable or we're not irreplaceable. Um, but we also have a certain amount of value that should never be discounted. Definitely. A good friend of mine, uh, Rhett Trees, who was on the show, yep. you know, swears by third-party management. And we had some pretty good conversations about, you know, it's it's all about the people. It's all about the value you bring. And, you know, it's it's uh it's it's good to hear that you're you're doing so well and and growing. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, where do you think the mobile home park industry is headed? You know, given the woes in the economy now with inflation and, you know, Ukraine and Russia, you know, that whole yep. border issue, uh, you know, the stocks, stocks are dropping, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? So this is my personal opinion and in no way, shape or form, am I an analyst of any sort, but just from, from what it, so let's say that interest rates go up. Um, the bonus depreciation that we've all enjoyed is going to start to sunset at the end of this year. Um, and the economy is, is already softening and is bound to soften. So uh, prices should go up um, and people with a low cost of capital like the institutions should continue to purchase aggressively. So if anything, I would say that a further consolidation of the industry that's going to knock out some of the um, some of the small to mid-sized players out of the buying because their debt's going to get too expensive. Also, I think that in 2008, the leverage that you could get on a community was crazy. You know, you could get 95 to five leverage, whereas now banks or lenders are a lot smarter and they're doing 25, 35, or maybe up to 50%. So I don't think that bank, that communities are going to go back to the bank how they did in 2008. But I do think that some people who are bought have purchased during this boom that didn't budget correctly are going to get in some hot water. So I think that they're for purchasing for acquisitions. I think that there's going to be some opportunity. Yeah, I like that. I, uh, I've heard that a couple couple different times. You know, one one thing I always remember 
uh, I think it was Daniel Din was a guest. Uh, he, he worked, he used to work at Fannie Mae and he was on uh, Jefferson Lilly's podcast. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how mobile home parks, yeah, they have lower default rates than apartments. However, when one does go bad, it goes really bad. And it's, it's harder to bring it back to life than an apartment is. Right. So why do you think that is? Is it just the occupancy issue that we talked about earlier? Yeah, the cost of, you know, an apartment's not going to move out of your community. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you lose occupancy in a community, the cost of replacing is, is huge. And if, if, if your community is struggling, and let's say your credit's getting bruised, you're not going to have the capital to buy new houses cash. You're going to have to go through financing, which could be extremely difficult. And not only... And let's say you can get 90% of uh, that new home, uh, just a loan on it. You still have all of the lot modifications and the home installations. So bringing in new homes is a, is cost and capital intensive. So yeah, it, yeah. And then your yeah, your deferred down. maintenance. You know now the trees are getting crazy. The roots are going through the sewer system. You know the roads are getting you know, exponentially worse. You know, it's not a linear path down. It's when things start to go, they go. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, Blank Family Communities and your management company and, uh, you know, what makes you guys different. And if, if any of our listeners would like to, you know, chat with you, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. So blankfamilycommunities.com is our website and you can go to the contact us page and schedule a call directly with me. And our value proposition is our our expertise and our technological automation. You know, like we talked about, we are we are a volume company. We manage a lot, and we are able to do that successfully because we have utilized technological aid and um, you know best business practices. So we provide the service of a large firm, but can customize that to somebody who owns one to ten properties. And also, also you get to talk to me on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And my, my brother is our chief operations officer and we have, you know, lived and breathed this industry for, for literally our entire lives. That's fantastic. I love that. I, uh, in some part of me hope that my son like comes up and wants to be in the trailer park business, right. You know, but it's not always the case. Not always the case. No. Um, so the best way to get a hold of you is on the website, blankfamilycommunities.com. Yep. I'll, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Thank um, you very much. Yeah. Steven, give us, give the listeners one more tip. You know, uh, I think this episode has been great. You've covered a lot. If you had to give, you know, the listeners, the passive investors, one more tip of, you know, a direction or something to check before they do invest into a mobile home community, what would that tip be? Uh, I would not to, to continue to beat a dead horse, but just, budget appropriately these this business they it can be extraordinarily successful you see the guys that have been in this industry for a while that purchase their communities right and they are doing extremely well so make sure we're you you buy well and then if we're in the we're in affordable housing so make sure that we're you know your your plan includes taking care of your residents yeah that's great awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show steven really appreciate the time andrew thank you very much for having me Yeah, that's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021. 
and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.